Well, good morning. Hey, we are in a series, kind of a theme for the year, if you will. It's called Gospel Deep, right? Gospel Deep. We're going into the depths and the riches of what it means for Jesus Christ to be all out sacrificing for us. It literally impacts us in every facet of our life. And that's what we're talking about. When we live our lives for him, that means every moment, everywhere, all the time, there is some application to understanding the depths of the gospel and what Christ has done for us. All right. We're not just going deep. We're going, guys are just getting better and better at that. Right. And uh, can you imagine in March? I don't know. So. We're not just going deep, we're going gospel deep. And uh, that's the whole of what's happening. We're going to be walking through the book of Romans and uh, learning in that. In fact, this series that we're in is called Gospel Deep, His Glory Trampled. His Glory Trampled. And in fact, as we look at it, um, well, the start of chapter one is pretty positive and optimistic as it presents the whole of the gospel Uh, The last half of chapter one starts to get pretty clear on how we've trampled his glory. Uh, That's why this title for today and last week was called See Sin for What It Is, part one and part two. See Sin for What It Is. Uh, Today we're looking at how we trample on his glory with our self-expression of sin and what that all means and what it brings. All right. It's a heavy, heavy meat passage today. So uh, turn with me to Romans chapter one. Verse 24, let's start getting to work. We got the ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands. Uh, Hey, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? Uh, We are going to walk verse by verse through this, so you'll need a Bible. Romans 1, 24. What in the world does it mean that we've trampled this glory? What's the cost of sin? Well, here we go, point number one. Uh, The death spiral begins. Refusing to honor God leaves me alone with my lusts pretty heavy right off the bat uh the death spiral it's the best terminology i could come up with for what happens as we go off on our own all right and we're going to be talking about it throughout the morning as we begin to make it all about me what happens the death spiral begins so refusing to honor god leaves me alone with my lusts let's just start reading verse 24 therefore god gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He starts out verse 24. Therefore, thank you. When we see the therefore, we say, what's the therefore, therefore? Some of you are like, I don't say that. And, uh, Join us. That's what we say around here. Why do we say that? Because when we're reading scripture, every single word matters. All right. And this is a connecting word. It's saying something huge just came right before it. And because of it now, this is true. All right. Therefore, what's it connecting us to? Well, if you look back, verse 19 is saying God reveals himself. And in verse 21, we've got man refusing In fact, going on to even claim to be wise by knowing other than listening to God and who he is. Verse 23, we replace God. It says we exchange the glory of God for. And then it's got a bunch of options. And each of us kind of walks in our own direction. But we exchange the glory of God for. No better definition for where the person is without God. When we are born, we are born in this position, making it all about me. I have taken the glory of God and exchanged it out and put me on the throne. That's where we all stand as a starting point. He says, therefore, because of that, because we've exchanged the glory of God for something much less than him, therefore, God gave them up. Okay, I got to tell you, those three words uh, hit me hard this week. God gave them, God gave them up. All right. This is, we talked about this with the wrath of God last week. You know, the wrath of God is experienced in physical death and in suffering. But in one more thing, when he allows, when he gives us over, when he lets us have the thing that we think is so much more important than God, that we've now exchanged his glory for it. Then he says, taste and see. Taste and see the ridiculousness of that. And, and um, 
This is a very consistent God, by the way. You think of the story in the Old Testament with the quail, right? And the Israelites wanting the quail, loving the quail, wanting to have so much of it. And God finally gave them over to that so much that they had quail, it says, coming out their nostrils. There's a graphic for you. Not sure how that's going to work at 11 o'clock, closer to mealtime. But you get the nostrils coming, just quail everywhere, sick of it. That's God giving you over to. He's letting you taste and see the end of that. It says, therefore, God gave them up uh, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. There is an end point and it is a disaster. Okay. And uh, if we really let these words settle, it's going to be a heavy morning as we walk through this. So let's walk through it together. Heavy. All right. And uh, so hear me. God gave them up. He's simply saying this. There's a 10-ton boulder of your lusts. And while he might be holding back and even helping with certain things as we choose to say, no, no, I choose me over you, God literally has simply this move in mind as he moves out of the way and that boulder begins to move downhill, all right? Uh, The passive is, it's happening to us. The active is God is letting that happen. God is giving it over to happen. Listen to me. When God does this, it's an assuredness. It ends with impurity. He gives us over to the lust, to impurity. It will end with us doing things we don't think we even should be doing if we evaluated it out of that moment. It will end up with us doing, if you want to measure the word impurity, it will end up with us doing filth. Things not clean. And uh, yeah, that's where it's going to take us. And how did we get there? Don't forget, we got there because we said, yeah, God on the throne, Uh uh-uh, me. And as I put myself up, as I go selfish, God lets me begin to taste of that more and more. He says he gives us over to the lusts, to the lusts. And just so you know, lusts, let me just say this, it's not a result of biology, lust. It's not a result of hormones. It's not a result of some gland doing something in your body. That might create a desire. Lust is when we take that off into a very wrong world to satisfy it. Lust. By the way, lust is something that cannot itself be satisfied. How do you know you're serving a lust? Because first of all, you know it's wrong. And second of all, it seems to just keep getting bigger. It can't be satiated. It can't be satisfied. Lust. That's what God's giving us over to. And yikes. Okay. As we begin to serve self and take God off the throne, something huge is happening. He's letting us taste of ourselves as God. And it isn't going to go well. Period. Notice the guarantee. To impurity. It doesn't say that some might maybe at sometimes have impurity. It says that there will be impurity as the end result. As he hands us over, that's the progress, okay? It ends in sin, period. As I put self on the throne, I will end up in sin. No question about it. And uh, so let's look at this from two facts, uh, facets now. Well, what if I don't have Christ at all in my life? What if I'm not a believer? You might be here today and you're like, I don't know this Jesus Christ the way you're talking about. I don't even know if I believe in him. And if we sit in that position without Christ, I'm telling you the whole way down is a battle against our lusts and it constantly getting bigger, unwinding into impurity. And we'll see it just keeps on going. It's called a death spiral. There is sin galore that we just keep tasting of. And in fact, we turn around and we try to stand against that 10 ton boulder and push it up the hill even. And, and, uh, you remember the Indiana Jones movie when the ball comes rolling down the hill, dude, what are you supposed to do when you see that run? Okay. Like there is a problem with trying to turn and face it yourself as if somehow you yourself will have the strength and energy to beat it. I'm telling you, it is a guarantee when he gives you over to your lusts, it will be to impurity. Fact. It will lead to sin. It will lead to expression outwardly of what's going on inwardly. You've already given your heart over. Now the body starts being handed over. All right. What about if I'm a believer? 
Well, if you're a believer and you're trusting in him, then this is what's happening the whole way down is because remember, we talked about this last week, the shell of wrath still touching you. And yes, if we are a believer, if we're trusting in Christ and in these moments, we're like, yeah, but I want this to be more about me really right now. I'm thinking me here and, and we're taking God off the throne in that moment. He does hand us over to that. We do taste of that. Just know as the 10 ton boulder is now hand removed by God beginning to roll down the hill at us. Every moment we take a step, we're walking past a road sign from the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. And it's like, turn around, confess it, be done with that. Like a constant renewal reminder. And all it takes is a stopping and putting God in charge again. Confessing, making Christ king again, saying, Lord, I'm done with that. And in that moment, the hand comes out and stops the boulder. God Almighty. In fact, even more than that, he may over time as he's working with you, maybe even make that boulder smaller. Maybe even move it more up the hill with you as he's moving it. And and that's what we call transformation, sanctification, progress that's being made by the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, 2 Corinthians 3 says that we are transformed not because we make our own effort. We are transformed because the glory of the Holy Spirit pours over us and his spirit transforms us. There is no victory over being handed over to your lusts except in Christ. We need you, Lord. We need you. And we better get that sobering thought today. If there is one thing we need to grasp, it is this. The reason we need a savior is not some nice little story of, it is devastation without, complete and total. There is no hope and it has one end, stuck in self and sin. And that's where we are. All right, clear. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Uh, I said this before, but remember, you're going to begin to act out the role play of what's already happened in your heart. As you've replaced or exchanged the glory of God, set him aside and began to worship you in some way as it's become the me world game now. Well, it's going to show up in your actions. All right. And dishonoring the body. That's what it looks like. Hey, parents, heads up. Uh, When you're training your child in the way they should go, when you're parenting in the moment, right, we always see the outward action and it's what kind of gets us first. It bothers us. We're like, hey, why do you do that? And now we confront our child and it's good. It's okay to be able to make clear to them the action that you think is wrong. But hear me, the action is not the point. That is the external behavior going on. Don't get into behavior modification. The goal is the heart. When you see a sin expressed, when you see impurity going on, when you see your child beginning to head in a way that's all about self or a lust or a desire and a consistency there, I'm telling you, it's time to be able to talk about worship. Where is their God in this picture? And it might even start with a legit question like, and how come God seems like a joke to you? Let's just talk about it for real. Really hear where their heart is. Don't scold into that. Help them move along the path of worship. All right? That's what we're talking about, getting to the heart of the matter. In fact, that's what the parenting class is all about that's starting this afternoon. If you're signed up for it, don't forget to be there. And if you're not signed up, you might want to be there. And uh, it's learning how to get to the heart of what's going on with your kids, not just correcting that behavior. Huge deal. It's all about the worship. And when the worship is broken, this is what's going to happen. All right, it says right after it here uh, that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. What truth would that be? Well, look what it says right after it. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Uh, There's a lot of truths that are going on that they're probably replacing. The biggest one is this. God ain't worth worshiping. I'm going to do my own thing, man. It's going to pay off. You watch the moment that I've got, I've got these feelings going on and I'm going to satisfy them and that's going to be worth it. That's the lie. And the lie they're exchanging out is serving the eternal God and all that he knows and all that he's doing won't pay off. And uh, That's a miss and a major miss at that. It says they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. 
Uh, and then I love this. Paul's writing and, he, and he's like, Ugh, talking about all this stuff makes me want to take a shower. Like he says, I got to talk about some good God stuff. The creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Right? Who is blessed forever. I'm telling you, your worship may stop. But he's being worshipped constantly. The angelic hosts are surrounding him. God is getting his glory. He is worth worshipping. It does pay off. He is blessed. He was. He is. He will be forever. Our God is blessed. Do you want to join in? And all of God's people said. And that word means. So be it. Right. That's what Paul's saying. Let's get a little real, people. It's about the worship. That's what he's talking about. And uh, may we get that. May we understand that and grasp that as we begin to work through the sin in our lives. Look, all too often when we go after sin, we just start looking at the things that are wrong and we're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't do that. And uh, start checking where the worship is broken, where God is off the throne and you're on. That's the source. Look for that. All right. Hey, uh, Teddy story here. It's our dog. We have a little black and white Cocker Spaniel. He ain't so little, actually. A little bit bigger Cocker Spaniel. And, and uh, he carries some weight with him, man. He's probably a 45-pounder, or at least was up until recently, 45-pounder. And uh, good-sized dog. You know, they told us he probably only lived 11, 12, maybe 13 years because of his oversized Cocker. Not, not fat, tall. I don't know. It's important that I say that. We take care of our dog, man. All right. And, uh, but anyway, Teddy was, uh, he was having a hard time recently. And a couple weeks back, he went in to uh, drink water and it was like insatiable. He would constantly be drinking water. And I mean, all the time he drank water nine at night, drink a whole bowl full. And I'm like, oh man. So I wait up till midnight, let the dog out, right? Two in the morning, I hear him back at the bowl, licking every little drop of water out of it, moving the bowl all over the floor, crashing it into the different wall pieces and stuff around there, right? And I'm like, what is with the dog, man? And uh, it got to a point where we finally were like, wow, there's something probably not right with that. And, uh, and then, then started the bladder control problems all over the place. And we're like, well, maybe it's because he's drinking water all the time, you know? And, uh, and it just got worse and worse. We finally just said, you know what? It's time to take him in. Maybe he's got a urinary tract infection or something. So we took him into the vet. And uh, it turns out that Teddy uh, has about eight weeks to live. Um, he's got cancer and, uh, and it's pretty bad. And that's even on the outside. It may be more like just a couple. And uh, it's getting pretty bad. And uh, listen to me. An insatiable hunger for something in your life. Cannot get every time you taste, you just need more. It's not good enough. It is an indication of something grievous going on inside. You're hearing that? And so what is it that you're so wanting in this world? Every time you get a taste, you just need more. That's not enough. And, and I got the, and then, and then that's not enough. And that's not enough. And listen to me. Lust is an insatiable, unsatisfiable hunger. It's a broken hunger for putting self up. And in the midst of it, it's a sign of something eating you alive inside. It is. And just like Teddy's wrestling with some cancer that ends up driving this thirst to a point where it's an unquenchable thirst going on. And, uh, and often it can start with something very natural, like getting a drink of water and it's over the top broken. And, uh, maybe it's how you're handling food. Maybe it's how you're handling drink. Maybe it's how you're handling sex. Maybe it's how you're handling titles or job descriptions. And it's like nothing can satisfy me. We begin to get into it and I just have to have more and more and more. And it's not that the thing itself is wrong, but the way you're using it or when you're using it or how you're using it is wrong. And it's unsatisfiable in its nature. What lust is eating you up. I'm telling you, it's a huge indication that your worship is shifted. You have exchanged the glory of God. You have put self up and he's handing you over to your lust. 
It's a natural process of now struggling to get your worship back in line. So the next step in question is not just what's the lust, but what worship needs to be fixed and what way can you put God on the throne? It starts with confession, clarity that it's wrong, and putting him in the right spot. An unwinding of our lust. It's the first step in the death spiral. Second, see sin for what it is. It's spiraling down, spiraling down. Once our lusts rule, our passions become gravely misaligned. Once our lusts rule, our passions become gravely misaligned. All right, here we go. He says, for this reason, okay, that's another way of saying therefore, right? He's saying because of what we just looked at, well, what did we just look at? It's when we uh, worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Do you see it taking the next step? And so now we're in a spot where we're worshiping created instead of creator. And God has already handed us over to the lusts and things aren't looking good. And so next step is, well, he gives them up. Second time we've heard this. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. To dishonorable passions. I just wrote this. Uh, Ironically, when we dishonor God, we end up dishonoring ourselves as well. Uh, As much as we think it's just going to be really cool, when we go after self, we end up eating self alive. It's total destruction. And uh, that's the dishonorable action that he's talking about here. It's when we're longing for what is a horror to the righteous God. We start longing for it. We start wanting an expression in a way God stands against. And we can't even quite understand why I want it so much, but I just want it. That's where I'm at. And, and I'm telling you, the reason you want it is because the creator is not in charge right now. And you are listening to the created and the screaming passion inside. Time to shut it down and start listening to your king and worshiping him. Now this word passion here, it actually means a variety of passions, a variety of wants and desires, but it also most strongly means the sexual desire, and you see it coming up right after it here. It says, For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women. And we're consumed with passion for one another. You see men and women in this terms here. And just so you know, in the original language, it actually does not say men and women. It says male and female. And uh, I, that's a big deal. It's tying back to Genesis chapter 1. And God gave them male and female. There's a reference to the sexual nature of it. There's a reference to the actual bodily design of it all. Okay, that's what's going on in the male and female recognition here. And he says, going back to the Genesis one account and the original design intent, it says, their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Exchanged. Do you remember that word? Verse 23, and they exchanged the glory of God for, and now they're exchanging natural relations for. Again, what goes on in the heart will end up being expressed in the body. Okay? That's what's going on. And that's a big deal. They exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. This is not the way God intended it to be. Original design, Genesis 1, the purpose of man and woman and marriage and relationship and the sexual relationship within marriage as a celebration of oneness between each other as an awesome gift from God and somehow it's taking it outside the confines and using it for self and using it for a passion and a lust that is eating them alive, contrary to nature. And it says, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Consumed with passion. And don't lose that. And all too often we start talking about lusts and we start to try to say they're the same thing as a natural sexual desire. 
And be careful, the two are not the same. One is driven by the body and the structure of the body, and the next one is the heart taking it and turning it and using it in a sinful expression to try to lift up self, okay? One takes it outside of God's boundaries. The other one is a natural expression within God's boundaries. Don't lose sight of it. Sexuality is not wrong. Expressed within the marriage relationship, man with woman. Period. That's the way it goes down. Genesis 1 design, super clear. All right? It says, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men. Shameless, meaning you're not even getting it's wrong, man. You're missing it. You're beginning to excuse it. There's no sense of right and wrong in your action. And be careful. You're beginning to buy into something that's eating you alive. And that's the clarity of what's being said here. And uh, wow, Tim, this is really not politically correct. Right? I'm just saying what you're thinking. Right? And you're like, really? We're going to say that. Uh, God says that. So we say that. Romans chapter 1, super clear. And uh, so let me just ask Tim, where do you stand on homosexuality? Let's be clear. So here we go. Yes, homosexuality is a sin. All right? Yes. Now let's be careful. I'm going to very quickly put my arms around the whole of this. Get ready because we're about to read 21 other sins in the rest of this passage. Be very careful. Yes, it is a sin. Yes, like any other sin. And you could say, well, yeah, but it's sexual. It eats you alive a little more. And uh, okay, fine. But note this, rebellion against Almighty God through sin is uncool. And this is one of them. And there are 21 others listed here. And there are a lot more than that. All right. And so, yes, homosexuality is a sin. It is an expression outside of the God-defined marriage, Genesis chapter 1, of a man with a woman, and it is not the intent, period, okay? Now, I don't know, Tim, I see this word natural, and uh, maybe that means born that way. What if I was born that way? Maybe then it's okay, and if I was born that way, then I can be. A homosexual, and, and so let me just be very clear on that, all right? Uh, quote, genetics, hormones, emotions, society, peer pressure, none are valid reasons for stepping outside of God's design plan, period. None. Really? I don't know if I buy that, Tim. Okay. So I have this predisposition to anger. I mean, I was born an angry child. And so I've got a temper and that's just the way it's going to be. And you say to me, bro, you need to work on your temper. And I agree with you. And uh, listen to me, be careful. Just because we're born that way doesn't mean Psalm 51, five, David said, surely from conception, I've been born in sin from conception. Yes, we are sinful at start, not pure. That's true, man. And uh, Romans 5, we'll get into it. It talks about through Adam, the one sinned, and we've all now been sinners. That's the way it is. It's not waiting till we get to a certain age and all of a sudden it starts counting. Like I'm telling you, how many kids have you met that don't in some way think about themselves really well? Right? It's natural. It's a part of it. We're born sinners. And to say I was born that way does not excuse. I just go, I know, I agree. We can be born a sinner. I'm not even going to battle with nurture versus nature. It's not an excuse. Not. We need to work with what God's given us. And we need to look and long for transformation. And please hear me on this now. Such a big deal, okay? Our goal is not to try to reach the ultimate height of what I was born like. The goal is to reach the ultimate height of original perfection and design. God's plan for you and for me to glorify him. Lord, sanctify me and grow me. My goal is to look like and honor you, conform to his 
image. That's what it looks like. The ceiling is unlimited upside. God, go ahead and transform. Now, yes, this side of heaven, we're going to be imperfect. We're going to continue along a path struggling. And all of a sudden, at the moment that we either pass on or are captured up in rapture, whatever happens there, praise be to God, immediate perfection. And it's not just to the height of what I was born like. It's to God's original intent. That's the goal. And all of God's people said, that was a good spot for an amen. I'm just telling you, there is an awesome hope. And man, if we're going to understand this, we better grasp the overall goal of what's going on. Okay. Now, let's just do this. I'll cover the last phrase and then I want to answer a couple of questions. The last phrase here. So they were receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Uh, ouch. Receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. So what kind of due penalty is this? And I'll just say it this way. It's sickness. Uh, there's soul sickness. As we have a passion that we let run amok, we'll have soul sickness. It is an isolation from God. I, I've taken God off the throne. I've put me on. And it hurts. An isolation from God. There's also a heart sickness where there's emotions and thinking and desires that are all running amok. And uh, this is what God's giving us over to. Okay? There's soul sickness. There's heart sickness. And yes, there's bodily sickness. Uh, I mean, when you start looking at misuse of sex, uh, HIV, uh, venereal diseases, the different things going on. And, and look, that's in a broad range of misuse. Please, this is not in any way to say that there is a hate against the person. Don't ever exchange God's glory for self. That's what there's a hate for. May God be worshipped in getting what he deserves. Okay? Be very careful with that. Um, I just wrote this phrase. The sin against God's nature entails as its penalty a sin against our own nature. We will get hurt. You will get hurt. God doesn't say don't. He says, don't hurt yourself. That's not the way it was designed. Sin is a destructive thing that eats us up inside and out. All right? The death spiral. And uh, all right. Tender moment. Well, I'm struggling with this sin, Tim. And what do I do? Like, I'm sorry, but this sounds very hateful. And uh, then I said it all wrong. It's about God being loved. It's about him getting the first and foremost. It's about him being glorified. Let's lift him up. The goal in solving this problem is not lifting up the man. The goal in solving this problem is lifting up our God. And then you'll get the right solution. All right? And so what should I do if I'm struggling with homosexuality? Here we go. Five steps, and you may want to write these down, struggling or not, because I'm telling you, you need to know what somebody needs to be going through, and it's a way to be praying for them. Uh, number one, embrace your Savior as King. There is no battling the 10-ton boulder without God Almighty. Embrace your Savior as King. Ask for forgiveness. Long for His shed blood to cover what you owe. Make Him in charge in your life. Whatever way you can say it, God's in charge again. I exchange back the glory for God and I put Him on top. Okay? Exchanging the glory for God, of God back in, number one. Number two, see this sin from God's view. Uh, it's in a list of those that bring wrath. Okay, and now there's no way around that. The whole context of this is a wrath-bringing list. And uh, so see it as that, okay? And whatever sin you're struggling with, uh, it may not be homosexuality you're wrestling with. It's something completely other. Same, same steps apply to you here. Get it right with Christ. See it as God sees it. Uh, number three, begin to reorder your life with God's glory at the center. Begin to reorder life with God's glory at the center. Everything will be different when you start making him number one. You'll see. Just start placing them there. All right? Number four. Resolve to live a pure sexual life. 
resolve to live a pure sexual life. Do not take anything out of the confines of the marriage environment. Man with woman, live it pure. Heterosexual, homosexual, I don't care where you're at. Do not take sexual expression outside of the marriage. Keep it pure. All right? And uh, number five, build strong mixed gender friendships within the church. Man, hang with people who know how to worship God. Start building some friendships there and make it rock. Okay? That's what we're talking about is an awesome opportunity for you to be coming alongside of others who are worshiping their king and you worship him with all you have and you may be struggling with this very sin where you're like, it's eating me alive. Know this. The lust is what eats us alive. The general bodily biological desires are things that God putting it into his hands can be managed. Okay? Please hear me on that. It's a big deal. And uh, so what do I do if I know someone who's struggling with homosexuality? It's not me personally, but I know him. And man, this, that's a sermon in itself, I'll just tell you. But uh, know that those are the five steps they're being called to go through. Be a support for them through that. Number one, knowing Christ as their savior. Number two, seeing the sin as what it is. It's where most people would fall down, right? In American society today, it's uh, don't say it's wrong. And try to support them in it and don't leave them in that muck. That is not loving to leave them in something that's going to eat them alive. It's a sin we're told is destructive. Help them out. Help them to see what it is. Um, number three, help them begin to reorder life with God's glory at the center. What do I mean by help? I don't mean control. Be praying for them caring for them and uh they're resolved to live a chaste life they're building relationships within the church they need you they need they need you to be loving on them and caring for them all right now i'm just going to be fair here there's the unbeliever and then the believer all right so i don't know christ at all and i'm struggling with homosexuality please do not teach morality morality does not save does everybody get that I can possibly can, and without Christ, I'm nothing. I need you, Lord. I need you. And without you, I have nothing worth saving for eternity. And with you, all because of you, salvation. Please hear me. The unbeliever needs to hear number one, Christ, him crucified, and we need him. That's where we stand, period. All right? It's that easy. Love him. And help them to see Christ in it. What all my friends a believer. He knows Christ as a savior. She knows Christ as her savior. And they're wrestling with this sin expression. And uh, all right. So as a church, we have a responsibility to rally. And here's the deal. Matthew 18, Galatians 6. I'm not going to go into the passages in depth now. But we are to call each other to high ground. And we are to hold accountable to the high ground. It is responsible for us to rally to that, care for them mightily, call them to the purity, and help be there with them. That's what it looks like. Loving is not ignoring that it's a sin. The end. And uh, man, it'd be a lot easier for me to stand up and preach the politically correct thing and try to just have people like me. That's not the goal. The goal is that our God get his rightful place of honor and glory. And uh, so that's where we stand. All right, clear and simple. All right, a lot of questions around it. Anything that pops that you're confused on, email me. I want to talk to you about it. All right, this is a majorly touchy topic and we need to work it through. So let's walk it through. I don't care how many emails that is. Clear? Clear? I like answers back. All right, illustration. What is deadly passion? So when Eskimos hunt for wolves, this is how they hunt. They take a long knife, a very sharp knife, and they pour blood over it and they let it freeze. They go out in the freezing cold. They pour blood over and let it freeze. Then they pour blood over again and let it freeze and again and let it freeze. They make a blood sickle. 
over the top of a knife. They take the knife and they bury it into the ice and they go to bed. The wolf begins to smell that blood and comes in. And as it licks the blood, the warm saliva begins to melt it and it begins to taste the blood. And it begins to love the savor of the blood. And as it begins to lick and like, it starts to get into voracious mode. It gets eaten alive with its own desires. It now starts licking away layer by layer and finally getting down to the knife. Its tongue is somewhat numb. It's continuing to lick and loving the blood. And as it continues to now drink its own blood, it's literally killing itself. They come out the next morning to a wolf dead from its own passion. Every one of you is making a face that I made when I first read that. (laughs) I can't get a more accurate description of a deadly passion needing to go than that. Watch out. It has cost. It has impact. It will eat your soul from the inside out and it must go. It isn't about, well, I just should. And the end result is disaster. It's time to set aside the lust. It's time to starve the lust or the deadly passion and be done with it and write the worship that God might get the glory. You're going to have to do some serious homework. I'm telling you, it isn't easy to try to find that spot where your worship is misaligned, but somehow God's not getting his due in your life. You're setting aside him and because of it, a passion is rising up in you. And it's beginning to consume and it's expressed through lusts and desires that are unquenchable. When you have that going on, look for the broken worship. All right. So again, same challenges in the first point. How's that passion going? Is it eating you alive? Get it identified. What's the wrong behavior? Now look for that worship correction. Where am I missing who God is? What am I missing about his greatness, about his glory, about his love, about his patience, about his grandeur in my, what am I missing where my God needs to be worshiped? Find it, get him on top, watch him stop the boulder, start shrinking it and even moving it uphill with you as he transforms you from one degree of glory to the next. There is nothing like the healing of your God. Taste and see that he is good. Amen? All right. Third point. Here we go. Rock bottom. Finally, the mind is destroyed, seeing all sin as right and good. Rock bottom. Finally, the mind is destroyed, seeing all sin as right and good. We'll start in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, another way of saying they exchanged the glory of God, they wouldn't say he's great. They wouldn't say he's eternal. They wouldn't say he's awesome. They wouldn't say he's necessary because they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind, to a debased mind. What does that mean? It means seared conscience. It means broken thinking. It means destroyed sense of morals. It means I'm not thinking right, man. And uh, I'm missing God's point. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to the debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Have you noticed how every time God gives up, it always ends up in an action. The outside action is not the source problem. The inside is the problem. All right. Just keep driving yourself back there. Now notice 21 sins. That ought to be fun. Here we go. They were filled with all manner of, ready, unrighteousness. That's like a stand against God and his purity. Evil. That's a stand against God and his goodness. Uh, Covetousness. That's when you're not satisfied with what God gave you. Malice. It's when you hurt someone else. You don't love them. Full of envy. It's when you want what they have. How come you didn't give me what they got, God? What's up with that? And uh, murder. 
It's when you're willing to even take their life, no respect for them whatsoever. Strife. Can you see how Paul's making this list? There is like almost no order. It's just like whatever word comes into his mind. Strife. Like when you're not quite getting along with someone. Pit of hell. Absolute destruction of impurity eating me alive. I'm just not getting along with them, Tim. Don't make such a big deal out of it. And I'm telling you, it will have its due penalty. Let go of the sin. Get back to your savior. All right. Deceit. It's when you tell something untrue to get something, right? You lie about it. Maliciousness. Don't you find this interesting? There's malice and then there's maliciousness, right? And malice is like the activity outside, the hurting of someone. Maliciousness. I'm predisposed internally to constantly thinking about how to hurt someone. Maliciousness. Gossip. When I push others down with my words, I hope to bring out how they've failed. I can't wait to celebrate that somewhere. Slander. Even if I have to say an untruth to get it done. Slander, telling the lie to push someone down. Haters of God. Yeah, that's broken worship at its best definition. Haters of God. Insolent. Refusing to follow leadership. God puts leadership in place and where do you stand with leadership? Haughty. I think very much of myself. Thank you. Can I tell you how awesome I am? Have I told you recently how much I've succeeded in? Let me tell you again some stories that are... If you tell stories about you much, be careful. Boastful. And you're prideful inside. Boastful is your prideful outside. Telling others. Inventors of evil. I love that one. Dude, you keep making up stuff about being bad. Right? Paul's like, I put 21 down and you got a list bigger than mine. Like, that's what he's saying. And uh, disobedient to parents. You refuse the authority within the home. Uh, get that one. In the same list of everything we've been talking about today is disobedient to parents. Yes, parents, it's a big deal for your kid to be respectful and kind and understanding. And kids, everybody looking up here, kids, big deal now. Listening to mom and dad. That's what it's all about. God's put a leader in your home. Hear what they have to say right? That's where it's at. Can't be more direct than that. Amen, moms and dads? I thought so. Foolish. No discernment. You got a major blind spot when it comes to sin and stupidity. Faithless, high control, low trust. Faithless, high control, low trust. Heartless, no care at all. Ruthless, no love at all. It says right after this brutal list, these are the things that we get into. It says, though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Stop. Though they knew God's decree that those who do such things deserve to die. Gospel problem right there. We are separated from our Savior and our inside and our outside are expressing that he is off the throne and I am on. And there is one thing we deserve and it is not a loving, gracious, merciful God. That's what he brings to the table, not what we deserve. What we deserve is to die. It says, they not only do them, but give approval to them. Be careful the world teaching tolerance, America teaching tolerance. It's one thing to have a governmental structure where it's tolerant to allow people to speak, freedom of speech. It's another thing for you to have to agree with it. Are you hearing me? Freedom of speech allows you to disagree. And so I'm not against freedom of speech. I am against not speaking out. Not having a position, not being concerned, not being loving, not being caring, not reaching in, not wanting to see someone set down that which is killing them and bringing them back to the glorious Savior, the Almighty God. Long for righteousness in your soul and in their soul. Don't do it from judgment, haughtiness. Right? I got my stuff together. You get your stuff together. It's not that. It's humble patient we're destroying ourselves man let's step up together and give god the glory 
Let's let him be raised up. Let's be done with this death spiral. Let's stop with this sin that's eating us alive. This gospel is necessary for one reason. Our sin. And I've got a savior who's willing to come in and pour it on. Praise be to God. May we lift his name up. Romans chapter 1. The heavy. We have destroyed the glory of God. We have trampled on it with all we've got. Trying to make it about ourselves. The impact is devastating. Hope. What's the hope, Tim? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I want to write this down. Great verses to come after these verses. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If you want to stand on your own, you'll be known for your heart and your actions. And this list will somehow find you. This is who you'll be known by your action and nothing else. I love this though. Verse 11. And such were some of you. Awesome. And such were past tense. Some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. One hope, Jesus Christ, washed and cleansed by our Savior and God Almighty. Lord, we need you. Father, we need you. Our sin is eating us alive and I want to be done. And the shame, that's all about self still. Set it aside. May your God get the glory. Every sin that's eating you up, every lust that's got you, it's time to set it down and say, it's who I was. But I worship the king and he's washing me clean and his cross is covering me, his shed blood. That's the gospel message. Gospel deep. I have no hope without you. I have every hope with you. Praise be to God. And all of God's people said, Amen. hope. That's what it's all about. Let's pray.